Good morning, my dear brothers and sisters, and a happy new year to you all. Only our God knows what this new year will bring to each one of us. If all goes well, we will have a new president in the USA, and next month the government of Israel will change also. There, is going to be, there are going to be deep changes in industry, in employment, in finance, and so on. And this will affect probably each one of us. But we are not like lemmings which run at top speed into the sea to drown. We thank God for the face of Noah. We are all like little Noahs, male and female, young and old. Through our trust in God and through the grace of God, we too, we shall be saved throughout this period of turmoil or when the terrible day of our Lord comes. We thank God for his strength in us which takes away fear. Our holy God is in charge and aren't we glad of it? We can re really relax no matter what awful thing may come across our path. So relax, be content and trust God. So let us begin our memorial service by singing two short songs, hymn 275, we sing it twice, and then hymn 205, immediately afterwards. Let us pray. Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end we, sh we shall stand, he shall stand upon the earth. Almighty Father in heaven, we bow before you, not out of fear, but out of reverence and out of faith in your word and in your compassion and love. You, the God of Abraham, are the only true and living God in the universe. All honor, praise, thanks, and glory are due to you. Thank you so much for having heard our prayers for having healed the differences which existed in this church. It is so good and wholesome to meet as one together again, to worship you together, to be friends again, <clears throat> and above all, to share our Lord's body and blood together. We are standing at the start of another year. We don't know what it will bring. Our prayer is that you will please help everyone to trust in you more, to open up and to let your peace enter in on everyone and on all people in this world who love you. We thank you for having brought us safely here to, our, to your son's table. We do thank you for the countless blessings you have showered on us since last we met. We do thank you for this church, for each member, for each laborer whose work helps to let this church function in a loving, caring way. We commit now this meeting into your hands. Through your Son, Jesus, please hear our prayer and accept our worship. Amen. Holy Father, Holy Father, we come to you at the beginning of this new year mindful Father that you are well the only God the God who's made everything and the God who is in control of everything 
there's a lot of chaos around us in the world, not just chaos, there's a lot of sadness, a lot of pain and suffering. But Father, we trust that you know everything and you are in control of everything and you are working toward a time when Jesus will come back. And we do earnestly pray that you will soon send Jesus to bring an end to all the pain and the suffering, to bring an end to all the violence of wicked people. And Father, we, we bring to you, as we always do at this time, Father, our brothers and sisters who need your special care. And Lord, if there's any I forget, then I know that you know them, Lord Jesus, and, and I know that you will be with them to bless them. <coughs> we bring Rebecca and Julian after their marriage, Lord. We know Rebecca, we don't know Julian much at all. And it may be that their life together might be difficult, they may be pulling in different directions, Lord, but we earnestly pray that you will bless them and that you will bring Julian to know you and keep them close to you and bless them in their life together, Lord. Encourage Rebecca and bless them, Lord. Lord, we thank you for Esther's baby Theo and we pray for them and for the, the rest of the family, for Johnny and Elena. We pray that you will bless them richly. Lord, let um, <coughs> Esther and Theo, <coughs> well, let Esther recover fully and let Theo grow and continue to grow physically, but also for the children as we pray for all our children, they will grow spiritually and grow to know and to love you, Lord. And Lord, we pray for Hannah and Anna um, in their pregnancies that you will be with them to bless them and keep their babies safely and let them have a good delivery. And again, bless them that they may grow up to know and love you, Lord. And we we think about Pauline and Gladys, and it's great to see Gladys and her sister here today, Lord. <clears throat> we do pray that you will continue to comfort them and, and strengthen them and help them. And our other brothers and sisters like Bill, and so on. Lord, we bring to you Rose Gillingham, uh, that's Steve's mum, who is having her, I think it's her last and sixth uh, chemo uh, very soon, and we we do pray earnestly that you will be with her. It's, I've never been through it, Lord. I don't know. But I know that you know and that you care as you care for all of us. So we pray, Lord, that you will be with her to strengthen her and encourage her in her faith. And Rob as well, that you will bless them. Please keep Rose safely, Lord, and let her be restored to full health and strength and bless us all Lord and thank you Amen That's the beginning of a new time period and a time of uncertainty the two Psalms we're going to read now Psalms 9 and 10 are just the perfect reading for us Ben which can you read for us Psalms 9 and 10 Psalm 9 I'll praise you, O Lord, with all my heart 
I'll tell of all your wonders. I'll be glad and rejoice in you. I'll sing praise to your name, O Most High. My enemies turn back. They stumble and perish before you. For you have upheld my right and my cause. You've sat on your throne, judging righteously. You've rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You've blotted out their name forever and ever. Endless ruin has overtaken the enemy. You've uprooted their cities. Even the memory of them has perished. The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He will judge the world in righteousness. He will govern the peoples with justice. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name will trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations what he has done. For he who avenges blood remembers. He does not ignore the cry of the afflicted. Lord, see how my enemies persecute me. Have mercy and lift me up from the gates of death that I may declare your praises in the gates of the daughter of Zion and there rejoice in your salvation. The nations have fallen into the pit they have dug. Their feet are caught in the net they have hidden. The Lord is known by his justice. The wicked are ensnared by the work of their hands. The wicked return to the grave, all the nations that forget God. But the needy will not always be forgotten, nor the hope of the afflicted ever perish. Arise, O Lord, let not man triumph. Let the nations be judged in your presence. Strike them with terror, O Lord. Let the nations know they are but men. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts of the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there's no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. He's haughty, and your laws are far from him. He sneers at all his enemies. He says to himself, Nothing will shake me. I'll always be happy and never have trouble. His mouth is full of curses and lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. He lies in wait near the villages. From ambush, he murders the innocent, watching in secret for his victims. He lies in wait like a lion in cover. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. He says to himself, God has forgotten. He covers his face and never sees. Arise, Lord. 
Lift up your hand, O God. Don't forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? But you, O God, do see trouble and grief. You consider it to take it in hand. The victim commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evil man. Call him to account for his wickedness that would not be found out. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. You hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed. In order that the man who is of the earth may terrify no more. Amen. Thank you, Ben. David has asked us that we read together from the book of Romans, chapter 8. And Lizzie will read this for us now. Chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit, who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of your body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. 
The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are, moved, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank you, Lizzie. Hi, David. It's my pleasure to ask you to speak to us. Thank you, Walt. Good morning, everybody, and uh, a very happy new year to you all. I hope you enjoyed your, your Christmas and your uh, new Year festivities and are looking forward to uh, to the new year and all that it, all that it will bring. Uh, Anna and I spent uh, a fantastic Christmas at Anna's mum and dad's at the Rudolph family house in Heswell and um, on Christmas Day we shared an absolutely fantastic Christmas meal and Sue and Ewald thank you both for, for your efforts over Christmas. It had everything, not only turkey, it had beef and Yorkshire puddings and all the trimmings, absolutely everything. I did a bit of a, uh, a sneaky covert operation, as, as I tend to do when somebody's cooking a roast dinner for me. I did a little trip into the kitchen 
um, before, uh, as, as Ewald and Sue were preparing the meal for us. And uh, I can see a lot of you looking back at me saying, well, actually, Dave, we spend a lot of time in the kitchen cooking, but that's, uh, be that as it may. I went in there just to do a bit of a, a, bit of a check out of actually what we were going to be uh, expecting for Christmas dinner. And I saw in front of me, as I walked into the kitchen, a large um, dish, uh, which I believe was full of um, one of my favourite things, bread sauce. Absolutely fantastic bread sauce. And when we came to uh, the meal, um, there was a dish in front of me with what I thought was bread sauce. And so I'd be having a bit of that. Yes, thank you very much. Turned out to be a bit of horseradish, so we'll put that back. <laughs> and uh, so I said to Anna, I said, well, I'm sure I saw bread sauce. Can you maybe ask, because I was a bit shy in front of uh, 16 Rudolph, I think about 16 Rudolphs in the house. I said, do you think maybe you could ask if there's any bread sauce available? And I did so, and it was the one thing that was missing. So... Sue did a fantastic job. She went back in the kitchen. Fifteen minutes later, had a whole bowl of bread sauce just for me. Had a few, uh, a few glances from the rest of the Rudolph family, um, obviously making them wait for their Christmas dinner an extra few minutes. But it was fantastic. It was an absolutely delicious meal. And why have I told you that? Why on earth have I told you about that? What I want to talk just uh, for a little while this morning about um, expectations. Expectations for 2009. Um, We've obviously just uh, gone through a season of, of great expectation of when the world uh, was expecting or when uh, Israel was expecting the arrival of the Messiah and obviously we celebrated that in the birth of Jesus. And the new year brings with it so many new expectations, expectations of what might lie ahead, what we might achieve, what we might do with the new year or what we might buy or what we might experience and obviously for Anna and I, it's, uh, uh, we're looking forward greatly to this year as we are expecting our first child in March. But as Ewald uh, mentioned earlier on, the world would have us alter our expectations at the moment, almost lower our expectations. 2008 saw uh, a credit crunch, which is going to continue, and it's going to have implications for us all, financial crisis. We also see social breakdown and family breakdown. And more recently, we see um, wars starting, particularly in the Middle East. It's almost as if the world is saying, don't expect so much from 2009. What I want us to do just for a few minutes is to refocus what we believe we can expect from our relationship with God and from our relationship with His Son, Lord Jesus, his, our Lord Jesus. What can we expect from 2009? Should we lower our or alter our expectations of our relationship with God and with Jesus. So I just want to go through, I've got a few slides um, with expectations, things that we can uh, look forward to in 2009. And the first one, you can expect to live in the favour of God. You can expect to live in the favour of God. The first expectation and on its own, that, that's, a, that's a very powerful statement. But I want to unpack it a bit and actually see um, what that actually means for us. And so I've got a few, uh, a few statements um, backed up with a few verses from the Bible about what it means to actually live in the favour of God. How can we expect to live in the favour of God in 2009? The first one. I am accepted. And it says in Romans 15 verse 7, 
accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. We live in the favour of God because we've been accepted just as we are because we are in Christ. So when the Father looks at you this year, he will see you in the beauty of Christ. And the second part there is to accept one another because we're all works in progress. We're all being perfected, we're all being changed into the likeness of Christ. But God, when he looks at each one of us, he sees the beauty of Jesus. I live in the favour of God because I am God's child. John 1, 12 and 13, verses 12 and 13 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. See, as a Christian, um, we might think that we don't have rights. Rights are, sort of right, rights belong to people um, that insist on things in this world, that insist on, on having certain things. You have um, rights when you buy a product, rights, um, human rights and those sort of things. But God says we do have a right. We have the right to become children of God. That's your right for 2009. And that is what you can expect. When God looks at you, he sees you as his child. I am Christ's friend. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. We can expect friendship from Christ. We can expect him to share all things with us. I live in the favour of God because I have been justified. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, I live in the favour of God. I can expect to live in the favour of God because I am redeemed. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And in a short while, that is what we're going to be celebrating uh, this morning when we break bread and drink wine. We celebrate the fact that God gave his son Jesus to bring us from darkness into light, into a glorious kingdom, the kingdom of the son he loves. That's what it means to live in the favour of God. And that's what we can expect, that in 2009, firstly, we will live within the favour of God. If that's not enough, what else can we expect? This is where we go to the reading uh, that Lizzie read for us this morning. If you could turn up uh, again Romans chapter 8. And at verses 35 uh, to 39, it says that we can expect something in here. So let's just have a quick look at verses 35 to 39. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship 
or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And here it is, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who saved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor sorry, uh, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can expect not to be separated from the love of God. That passage there says it is impossible. Furthermore, you can expect that God will work in your life for good. That God will work in your life for good. Romans 8 verse 28 it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Whatever the will of God for you in 2009 may be, we can rest assured that it will be good for us. And you can expect to be free from condemnation. We read that in uh, Romans chapter 8, but also in the first uh, epistle of John, chapter 3, verse 20. It talks about even when we ourselves condemn ourselves when we believe that we are guilty beyond all recognition when we condemn ourselves when our hearts put us in a position where we are so out of sync with God it says in 1st John that God is greater than our hearts and that we can rest at peace in his presence you can expect to be free from condemnation And you can expect God to continue the good work that he has begun in you, be that in 2008 or whenever it was, you can expect that God will keep on working in you until the day of Christ, it says in Philippians 1 verse 6. What more can we expect? Well, okay, we can expect to find grace and mercy in time of need. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16. It says, with confidence we can come when things go wrong. So in 2009, if something happens, if we mess up, if other people around us mess up and it affects us, if we go through trauma, if we experience something that affects us deeply, we have somewhere we can go and we can find grace and mercy in that moment of need. And we can do so with confidence. Just two, two more expectations. This one um, from Philippians 4 verses 11 to 13. We can expect Jesus to live within us, to dwell within us. A few, towards the end of 2008, um, Steve uh, looked at and, con and, and considered with us that we are jars of clay. 
and that we are vessels carrying the spirit of a mighty and living God. We are these vessels that may be chipped, may be cracked, may be damaged throughout this coming year. But what we carry within us, every time that a crack appears, every time that another chip appears on this fragile vessel, we are confident that that will just allow everybody outside to see what we contain within the Spirit of God. And you can expect to be used by God for his purpose and for his glory. In John chapter 15, um, it talks about us being the vine, sorry, he being the vine and us being the branches, and that um, if we remain in Jesus, then we will bear much fruit. And it also says in there, apart from me, you can do nothing. In 2009, there would be people that allow Jesus to live within us and allow him and allow our Father to use us for his purpose and for his glory. So that the fruit we, fruit we might bear is not fruit of our making, but we are just a channel for his power. What a list of expectations. What a list of things we can anticipate throughout the next 12 months because of our relationship with God and with Jesus. But what about you? What does God expect of you this year? Because a relationship is a two-way thing. All these blessings God pours into our lap. What does he expect our response to be in 2009? I believe that God expects us to accept all those things that we just talked about all those statements of who we are in Christ God says just accept it that is who you are in Christ accept his acceptance and to submit to his will for you in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18 it says be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Jesus too submitted to the will of God in John chapter 5 and verse 30. Jesus says, I didn't come with my own agenda, I didn't come to do the things that I want to do, to say the things that I want to say. Jesus says, no, I came to do the will of God. I came to do the things that God predestined for me to do. I came to say the things that God told me to say. In 2009, our God expects of us to submit to his will. We said earlier on um, about accepting one another, about accepting each other just as we are, because we're all works in progress. But we're works in progress in Christ Jesus. As we said, when God looks at us, he sees the beauty of Christ. So accept who you are, submit to God's will for you, and accept 
one another for who they are in Christ. And this one is uh, glorify him with all you are. I've got a picture of stars on there. Um, for New Year's, uh, Anna and I, Lizzie and David, we, we got in a car and we drove up to uh, the West Lakes and spent New Year's at my parents um, in St. Bees. And as we were driving up on New Year's Eve, um, Anna said, as, as we drove up through the lakes, she said to the audience in the car, check out those stars. Look at those stars. And they were so clear. It was such a clear night that we could see the stars millions of miles away in the sky. And then a bit later on, on New Year's Eve, after we had a, a bit of a party at uh, my mum and dad's house, we went down to the beach because they live right on the beach there. And uh, a few of us had brought along some fireworks. And so we had some fun launching these fireworks and, and uh, enjoying the the display that, that we managed to put on. And it got me thinking about where, where we place our worship and, and where we place our glorification. Do we look at the stars and glorify God, which are eternal, which are God's creation, or do we just look at the fireworks, which are instant, which are finished? Which one do we spend more time contemplating? In Romans chapter 1, maybe if we just turn to that please. Romans chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. I'll read from, sorry, from verse 22 of Romans chapter 1. This is a, a passage um, which I heard described once as the, the glory exchange. Romans 1 verse 22 Although they claimed to be wise they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. And earlier on in that passage it says, sorry, in verse 20 I should have read this verse, sorry. Verse 20 it says For since the creation of the world God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. So I think as we stand at the beginning of 2009, we have a choice. We can either worship an immortal God and glorify him with all we are, or we can choose other things, temporal things, temporary things, that are here today and, and gone tomorrow, that have no real power. And seeing the fireworks and comparing them to the stars reminded me of that glory exchange, that how often we might as individuals um, look to glorify ourselves or things that, that don't mean anything over a worship of a God who is eternal. So God expects us to glorify him with all we are. And finally... The final thing that I believe that God expects of us and the way that we are to live uh, this year is that we are to live with an expectation, with an anticipation of the immediate appearing of his son Jesus. With all that's going on in the world, we know that it's fast approaching, a time when Jesus is going to come back. And we know that as we share bread and wine this morning, when we meet together, that Jesus is here by his spirit, but we long for the day 
don't we, when Jesus will come on the clouds, will come back to the earth, and we'll see him in an instant, he will appear and he will walk with us, and he will forever be with us. So in 2009 we have so much to expect, so much to look forward to, so much to anticipate. Yet with all this expectation of, of our, what, we, what will happen in our lives because of this relationship with God, God still manages to find ways to amaze and to surprise us. Like the wonder of, a create, of his creation on a winter's day and I guess the feeling of holding your newborn child for the first time because right now I understand it's going to happen up here and I'm expecting it up here but is it in here yet? I don't know I don't know there are still ways in which God can surprise us even with all these expectations and that he can take our breath away by his amazing love and we do that every Sunday don't we? we come to break bread and to drink wine and we're expecting it we're expecting it to be part of our service. But when we truly consider all that Jesus did for us, for you and for me, it is something that surprises and amazes us. So in 2009, may we continue to expect all the good things that God has in store for us, but allow ourselves to be amazed and surprised by his great love. Not just now, but always. Do we remember him? Do we remember what Jesus has done for us? He gave his life to save ours. Only he was good enough to become the perfect sacrifice to wash away all transgressions. He has done everything for us he possibly could to save us from everlasting destruction. At no other time in our life, in our daily life, do we, are we confronted as starkly as now when we look at this table. See the bread, and we see the cup, and we taste the bread and wine, what Jesus really did for us. Alex, will you please give thanks for the bread. Loving Lord Jesus, we remember in this bread your broken body. And for this reason, we come before our Father, from whom this whole family derives its name. And Lord, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen us with power through his spirit in our inner being so that you Lord Jesus might dwell in our hearts through faith and I pray that we being rooted and established in love may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is your love Lord Jesus and to know 
this love that surpasses knowledge that we might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of our loving Father God Lord God to you who are able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or could possibly imagine according to your power that is at work within us to you Lord be glory in the church in this church in this family and in our Lord Jesus Christ who we remember now throughout all generations forever and ever Amen Thank you Alex and Jesus took bread he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying this is my body this is remember me Our Lord God in heaven, our Father, we are so blessed to be called your children, so blessed to be called your sons and your daughters, and we come now in thanks, in thanks for this cup of wine, a simple symbol of the simple fact that you watched as man had your son, your only begotten son, murdered and Lord Jesus it was our sin that caused your back to be torn it was our sin that caused the thorns to be rammed onto your head it was our sin that caused the nails to pin you to that cross it was our sin that brought the pain to such a crescendo that you cried out and in doing so you changed the world you changed the world forever as your blood that we now drink in this cup poured from your body it poured in such abundance in such love and the Holy Spirit the water from your body poured out too the Spirit in which we now live, freed from our sin and alive in you. Lord Jesus, we are more than conquerors. Amen. Thank you, David. Let us now share this cup of wine, which represents the blood of our Lord Jesus. After supper, the sang in him and subsequently walked to the Mount of Olives, where they stopped in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is, which is a garden on the western slope of, Mount, of the Mount. While there, Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed to be sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. 
Going a little further, he prayed, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. When he returned to his disciples, he found them sleeping. Did they not care, or did they not understand what was about to happen? After Jesus was arrested, everyone deserted him and fled. The young man, possibly John, was so desperate to get away that he fled naked. And Peter, the strong man, followed Jesus sheepishly and in due course denied to know him three times. Would we behave like that? That's what Peter saw too. That's why he cried bitterly afterwards. And we pray we may never be so severely tested. And if, let us pray, Jesus will stand at our side to encourage us. At the same time, we cannot ignore what is happening in this world around us. In the recent American elections, an unexpected large majority of American Jews voted for Mr. Obama, whereas the vast majority of Israelites are unhappy about this because of his origin. You may know that the old Hebrew language did not have numbers. Letters were used to replace numbers, as in A1, B233, up to 10, and then it went up to tens and then up to hundreds. There's another reason why the Orthodox Jews are especially concerned with Mr. Obama's election. God willing, he will be the 44th president. And 44 in Hebrew means blood. I would like us to close by singing hymn <coughs> uh, number 297, we praise the Lord, and afterwards, please let us pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive them who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from all evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and glory, for ever and ever. Amen.